we are going to take a uh, one Sunday break from the Sermon on the Mount, and we are going to talk about some of the how how do we respond to the evil and wickedness of what's going on in our country right now. Uh, it almost seems like it's unprecedented at the, the, the rate that some of our national leaders, some of uh, other state government officials are making proposed legislation. This, it's not just immoral, but according to God, it's murder. And, and they, they treat it as though it's no big deal. It, you know, I mean, this is an immorality beyond anything we've ever experienced. It's not like a wall, the immorality of a wall. How can a wall be immoral? It's amoral. Ridiculous. But nonetheless, what's going on right now in our country kind of reminds me of some of the things that took place in the Old Testament. If you don't, if you don't know some of the Old Testament things, go back and read uh, in Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. That, that'll give you a good snapshot of what human beings are capable of doing. They were taking children, these people who were worshiping false gods, they created these little wooden idols, these little golden statues that they were worshiping, and they were offering sacrifices to them, and the sacrifice that they were offering to these gods were little children and babies. They were killing them in the name of religion. They, they, it wasn't just like it was a, a, a murder, it was torture. It was the most hideous thing that you could even think of. And now our country is moving into that realm of evil and wickedness. It, it, it's one of those things that, that I've talked about before. It's a spiritual reality. The spiritual reality is, is that when God says that something is good... The enemy of our soul, the one who wants to rob, kill, and destroy us and every other person on this planet because we're made in the image of God, because of that, when God says something is good, like he said, marriage is good, the enemy of our soul says marriage is not good. Don't get married. It just leads to heartache. When, when, when God says that having children is a great thing because it will increase his kingdom. The enemy says children are a nuisance. They're a, a problem. They're unwanted. So go ahead and have late-term abortions and kill them. Because whatever God says is good, the enemy says is bad. When God says something is very good, guess what the enemy says? It's very bad. And that's where we're finding ourselves today in the world that we live in. The problem is, is that we have these spiritual goalposts that used to be set pretty solid, and they, they would mirror the righteousness, the holiness, the morality, the commandments, the Word of God. So we had these spiritual goalposts that were set here, and 60 years ago, we would reflect on those and say, this is what the Bible says, and so this is where we're going to live our lives. This is how we're going to live our lives. The Bible has authority over every aspect of our lives. But what has happened is those goalposts keep getting, those morality goalposts, they keep, keep getting moved farther and farther away 
from the standard that God has placed out there. So the standard that God says, this is good and this is evil, the goalpost moves away from that. When he says, this is holiness and righteousness, it gets farther away from it. And and part of the problem is, is that there are churches who are saying, in our culture, I'm going to go with what society is teaching, what society is bringing to us, because after all, everybody's doing it, it must be right. The problem is, is we can get really discouraged about where our world is. It seems like our world is inventing and creating uh, new ways to act out evil in our country. And, And it can really be overwhelming if we just focus on that. But here's the thing. Evil has always been pushing against godliness. And godliness has always stood up to wickedness and evil. Matter of fact, um, we're, we're not facing anything new. There's nothing new under the sun. It's the same old thing we've ever faced ever before in, our, in the history of mankind. It's the same old thing. Matter of fact, the psalmist, he wrote this in Psalm 14. The fool says in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt. They do abominable deeds. There is none who does good. The Lord looks down from heaven on the children of man to see if there are any who understand, who seek after God. So like 4,000 years ago, (laughs) David's going like, where are all the righteous people? What is all, what's going on with the wickedness in the hearts? Well, God made this declaration out of Jeremiah about the heart of those who have not been redeemed by Jesus. He says, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? That's the condition of the natural heart, a heart that's not been touched by God. So what's our response to such unashamed evil in our world. Well, here's the problem many people have in their own lives. They don't know that they need God. Matter of fact, I think there are a lot of people who fall under the umbrella of Christianity and they don't know that they need God because they think that if they have the right resources in place, if they have the right people in place, they can do ministry without God. It's the I can do it mentality. And it's a very sickening mentality. Now listen, there's nothing wrong with resources. There's nothing wrong with people resources. There's nothing wrong with financial resources. There's nothing wrong with building resources. The problem comes when we behave like we don't need God in our lives or in our churches because we have all the resources that we need to do what we want to do. And God's calling us to to put our thoughts in a different place. Here's what happens when you step into that outlook on life that I really don't need God to do my ministry. Guess what happens? You've just stepped on the slippery slope of religion. That's what religion does. Religion is, is what brought our country to the place where it's at because we created our own set of rules that we're going to abide by. We're going to create our own do's and don'ts. We're going to create this whole list of stuff that we say is right and wrong while ignoring 
entirely what the Bible has to say about it. And so we've, we've done uh, a bad disservice to our country by creating a religion-based opportunity to interact with each other. God calls us into relationship, not into a religion. And so, by the way, if you're coming here and you go, I really like the religiosity of this church, I'm sorry, we're not religious people. I don't want to be a religious person. You know, at one point, I was a religious guy. It just made me a miserable young cuss. And thank goodness, the Lord, by His grace, rescued me from religion and, and entered into this relationship with Him. So our response to the events of the past couple of weeks is going to bring us to this really what I think is a very inspiring and powerful instructions from the Apostle Paul found in Ephesians. What we're going to do is we're going to go through the verses we're going to study first, and then I'm going to back up and I'm going to walk you through how we get to these verses in the book of Ephesians. So here's, here's where we're going to be, Ephesians 5, 15 through 21. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery. But be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always for everything to God the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. <coughs> Excuse me. Now, in Ephesians, we have this great... It's, it's, it's this great combination of two things that Paul has done. Because in the book of Romans, the book of Romans is a magnificent writing on theology, the study, the understanding of God. And in 2 Corinthians, what you see Paul doing is he's exposing his heart in 2 Corinthians. And so what Ephesians is, is where Paul marries both theology and his heart together in this book called Ephesians. And, and and so when we walk through this letter, it develops a, a whole different view for us to take a look at where God wants to teach us what we do in the face of wicked and evil times. So in chapter 1 of Ephesians, you see that God the Father chose you. Then you see the fact that God the Son saved you. And then you see that God the Spirit sealed you. And that Paul begins to talk about the desire of those who are pursuing God's truth to have their minds illuminated by the Spirit of God and by God's Word. In chapter 2, Paul lets us know that we are dead in our trespasses. There's nothing we can do to save our, our, ourselves. As one pastor puts it, we are tore up from the floor up, dead as we can be. That's the second chapter of Ephesians. And and. And we are in need of God. We need God to come after us. There's nothing we can do to come after God on our own. In other words, we're the ones that are lost. God is not lost. God is the one who looks for us. We don't look for Him. Matter of fact, there's this powerful two verses right smack dab in the middle of that second chapter of Ephesians. And it says, by grace you have been saved by faith and not of your own doing. It is the gift of God not the result of works, so that no man can boast. You see what God, what Paul's saying there is, is that we come into this relationship. Remember, it's not religion, it's relationship. We come into this relationship through faith in Christ. 
It's what Christ did on the cross for us. It has nothing to do with who we are. It has nothing to do with what we bring to the table. Paul's letting us know that there is nothing of value that we can bring to the table. That a dead person offers nothing to God. There's nothing to merit God's favor in us. He looks at us and goes, you're nothing but filthy rags. I don't need you. But he chose to love us. He chose to give himself for us. And so what Paul's talking about is this salvation is that we need to be dependent on God. It's the same gospel that saves us and brought us out of death into life. It's that same gospel that takes us beyond where we are to the place where God's transforming our lives. In chapter 3, it shows us that God has chosen the church to reveal the mystery of Christ to the world through us, the church. And then we are also in the place to display the manifold wisdom of God to the entire world. That's what the church is to do. The, the, uh, the result of this, walking through all of this theology in chapters 1, chapter 2, and chapter 3, is that it it, that things really become real. It's when we start to really dig into theology that we see the, the realness of God's kingdom. Something extraordinary happens when you get into theology and you start to study it. You know what happens? It's the same thing that will happen to us that happened to Paul. Because here's what happened to Paul. Paul got happy in the Lord. You know what that means? That means he put down his quill and stepped away from the ink and he did a little hallelujah jig, a little praise the Lord worship and he broke out into this little bit of worship right in his theology. That's what theology does to us. And we see that in verses 20 and 21 of chapter 3. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we could ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. That, my friends, is true worship of our living God. And there's no way that you can think of, of the work of the Godhead. And there's no way that you would, in the world, that you can think about how lost you were. And there's no way that you can think about by grace you have been saved. No way in the world that you can look at the fact that we are the displayers of the manifold wisdom of God and not break out into worship. I don't think you're getting it yet. <laughs> he is mighty. He is powerful. We stand in awe at the beauty and glory of who He is. He is the God of all wonder and majesty. It is impossible to know how far off from God we were and God brought you near. It is impossible to see how broken you were and God put you together and made you whole and not break out into worship. There you go. Now you're coming along. In chapter 4, Paul does something that's absolutely powerful for us. He goes from orthodoxy to orthopraxy, meaning that theology leads to worship and worship leads to practice. So if you don't have good theology, you're not going to have good worship. And if you don't have good worship, you will not have good practice of the Word of God. So, chapter 5, at the beginning of it, 
We're seeing the practical identity of the church, the functioning in, functioning in its identity, executing in community what God has called her to do. And now we come to the passage that I'm supposed to preach on. Whew, I'm already tired. All right. Now, this is a marvelous place. It's right between theology and our worship. The church, typically now, in our age right now, and I talk about the whole church, the church and church people have moved to a place of being theologians and apologists. An apologist is one who defends the faith. And they've been doing it without intimacy with Christ. When you take theology out of intimacy, it won't lead you to do anything. The intimacy comes from being empowered by the Holy Spirit, who is not just with us, but He is in us. And a life that is empowered by the Holy Spirit means that we will live a life of discernment. You want to know? how we deal with the evil we're facing in this world today. It starts by having an impact on our, cu our culture and our society, but the only way we can do that is to live a life that's Holy Spirit-driven with discernment. You will not understand your culture. You will not see what God is doing unless you have discernment. Let's go to verse 15 of chapter 5. It says, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. The word look here at this point is not talking about a physical look that you give someone. It's not the look of attraction. When I first started to realize that God had called me into ministry and I was going to be staying in school instead of going off and doing some other things, I gave Lorinda a look, and I went, wow. Uh, there was a physical attraction, a look about her physically that I was attracted to. If you're married and you weren't physically attracted to the person you're married to, God help you. <laughs> That's all I can say. But it goes beyond that because what God also does is then he gives you the ability, the eyes to see inside what is not relevant to the outside experience. You can't see everything that God wants you to see in what's going on in your life and those people around you. You actually have to have eyes that God gives you so that you are seeing out not just from the outside, but you look from the inside. Holy Spirit-empowered living doesn't look at things strictly from the outside. The Spirit of God gives us the ability to discern and to look on the inside so that we can see what's going on. And the, reason, the way we know that is out of Romans 10. It says, so by faith um, comes from hearing and hearing through the Word of God. And then in 2 Corinthians it says, for we walk not by faith but by Sight, not by sight. We walk by faith, not by sight. So if we're not walking 
by sight, in the physical sight, you won't be able, if you're walking only by physical sight, you won't be able to see clearly and understand the cultural issues facing our country and dealing with the spiritual issues you have to deal with in your life, in your home, in your community, and in your community of faith. In order to see things the way God wants you to see them, you have to ask the Holy Spirit to give you sight beyond sight. Listen, there are a lot of nice-looking people. And from the outside, and I'm standing here looking at a lot of really nice-looking people. You've done your hair up nicely. You know, some of you put hair product in this morning, really making it look good. I don't know why you're still single. You're a handsome man. But what happens is, is that we get this we, we look at everything from an outside view, and people look really good. And guess what we do when we come to church? We don't just put on our clothes and, and dress up and make ourselves look nice. We comb our hair, we brush our teeth, we shave, we do all the rest of those things so that we look good, but we also then, we want to come and we want to put on the air of appearance spiritually that everything's okay too, that we've got it all put together. And the problem with that is that we don't have it together. And so the Holy Spirit, what He does is He gives us discernment into what's going on right before us, and we get to see things the way God wants us to see them as they really are. And then you'll be able to step into the arena of personal ministry and bring Jesus to the broken. And, and Jesus calls us to minister to the least of these. And by the way, to those who are, who are spiritually bankrupt, and, and those who are spiritually bankrupt, they don't always dress like they're bankrupt. They dress really well, but on the inside, they're broken. They're a mess. They need God more than anybody else. But the appearance, the air that they give is that everything's all okay. Now, we, all of us, at one time or another, we're in the position of being in need of God's help, and God gave that help to us when we were absolutely at our worst. That's the good news. He doesn't want us to get all cleaned up. He doesn't want us to get everything right before we come to Him. He's not looking for us to get our stuff put in order before we come to Him. He says, come as you are. My job is to help you. And the way we know that is because in Romans 5, it says, but God shows His love to us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were in the muck, while we were in the mire, while we still had the scales on that needed to be ripped off, Christ died for us. Back at 15, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. This is a call for us to acknowledge how things really are. It's about our behavior. And most believers don't want to be honest about how things really are. We just want everybody to think we've got it all put together. We're not broken. But we are broken. We don't have it all together. And it's at that point that we experience the deep transforming of Christ in our lives when we acknowledge that we don't have it all together. Here, listen to this. Listen to me now. God doesn't help people who won't acknowledge their need for help. God the Spirit doesn't change anything where there isn't any acknowledgement, confession, and repentance. 
And if you're wondering why you keep falling back into the same old habits and doing the same old things and you're not making any progress, try to make an acknowledgement to God to confess it and then repent. And the Spirit promises He will transform your life at that moment. He will put you in the place of being moved by God into a new area of, of knowing Him in a deeper way. In this little passage, the word wise in the original language means to skillfully live out your life. In other words, you skillfully live out your life by, by paying attention to what the Word of God has to say to your life. It's taking the Word of God and incorporating it into the way that you live every single day. That's what discernment means. That's, power, that's the power of Holy Spirit living is the discernment. And the way that we, we go about and um, combat evil is to have Holy Spirit discernment. The second thing, or the next thing, we need to do to combat evil in our world is to resolve to maximize every season God gives us. To maximize every season God gives us. In verses 16 and 17, making the best use of time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand the will, what the will of the Lord is. One translation says that we are to redeem the time because, because the days are evil. Making best use or redeeming the time means we cannot look at our current season in life and think that it is just one of those mundane times in life. And if we just wait it out, God's got something more exciting on the way for me. And in that moment, then I will have more of an impact in life when God brings the more exciting thing to me. Here's where we live. We live in a beautifully broken culture. Beautifully broken. If you go to a third world country, you know that it's broken. It's right before your eyes. You see the poverty. You see the orphans. You see the widows. You see all of, of the ugliness of humanity right before you. You see the brokenness of God right before of, of this world right before you at all times. When you're in this country, we don't see it as being broken. We don't see ourselves as, as broken people. But yet, I think that we live in one of the most broken times of my lifetime. I have never seen things as bad as they are. And I lived through the Vietnam era. I understand all of that. But we had a better handle on the, the morality and understanding of who God is and what evil is. And so we have this brokenness that's going on. And so the very same gospel that brought me to salvation 45 years ago is the same gospel that God has given to us to proclaim and transform lives. We're to make a proclamation of that gospel. That gospel specializes in going into people's lives. It goes into places, it goes into system to bring about change and transformation. The gospel, the good news, particularly has the ability and the power to take what was broken in our world and make it whole. There is a renewing power to the gospel that has divine influence. God has strategically placed men and women in places where the power of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection empowers them to bring hope to a hopeless world.
This last week, I read an article about a 27-year-old dietitian in New York City who hung herself. She had a great job, made really good money. Her parents absolutely loved her. She had a vast number of personal friends. And in her suicide note, this is what she said. Hope is nothing more than delayed disappointment. That was her view of hope. She was hopeless. It's delayed disappointment. That is not the message that Jesus Christ gives to the church to share with the world. The message that God has given us is a ministry of hope, a ministry of healing, a ministry of justice, renewal, wholeness, and transformation. It's by the means of the gospel. The same gospel that saves and is the same gospel that continues to give us hope into the future. That's where our hope is. It's in the future of what Christ is doing for us and has done for us. And somehow the church has to come back to the empowerment of the Holy Spirit to bring the hope of the gospel to this hopeless world. To the make best of of our, to, to make the best use of our time in these evil days is to get on board with God's agenda. It's time for us to do that one thing that Christ called us to do. Jesus told us to do one thing, and we need to get back and start doing it. And that one thing is to make disciples. And when we make disciples, then we start redeeming the culture. The month of January has been a little bit difficult for my father-in-law. His wife, Sandra, we're into stepmom, she ended up in the hospital. Um, she was intubated. Uh, it, it was touch and go there for uh, a little bit. And um, my father-in-law, I call him dad because he's the only one I've got, he turned 80 in January. And when he would go to the hospital to visit Sandra, he'd have to get on the elevator and ride to the top of the elevator. Let me give you a snapshot into the life of my dad. He gets on the elevator. There's another man standing right there. And John says to this man, he says, Hey, can I tell you about Jesus? Yeah, tell me about Jesus. And so on the elevator ride up to wherever they were getting off, John explains the love of Jesus, and you get saved by faith and grace of Jesus. And by the time they're getting off the elevator, the man has given his life to Christ. And John says, have a great day, and he goes off to minister to his sick wife in her room. Later on, he comes back, and he's going off, and that man finds him, and he says, John, can you come to my wife's room and share the gospel of Jesus with her? He's like, sure. So he walks in. He says to the lady, you want to know about Jesus? She starts to weep and she says, tell me about him. And so he leads her to Christ in her, in her room. And then they want him to share Jesus with their kids when they show up. And they're Eskimos from way up north in Canada. That's not abnormal for my father-in-law. 
You know what my father-in-law does? He's walking and he's been at Home Depot and he's unloading his stuff and he sees a shop, shopping cart running away from somebody's vehicle and so he goes trotting over there and he grabs the shopping cart and he drags it back over and goes, hey, this got away from you and they turn around and go, oh, thanks. He and then he goes, hey, can I share Jesus with you? And they go, no, take a hike. He goes, okay, see you later. And he just walks off and he does his own thing because he is never put out by somebody saying, no, I don't want to know about Jesus. He's just like, okay, that's fine. And so he goes on to the next person. He's lived uh, where he lives at least for 20 years on this little circle in, in Winnipeg on their street. And he's led four people to Christ in the last three years on his street. You know how he does it? He walks up and he says, hey, can I tell you about Jesus? And they go, yep. Some of those people, he's said over the years, hey, can I tell you about Jesus? Can I share Jesus with you? Do you want to know about Jesus? Let me tell you what Jesus has done for me. And over the years, they've gone, no, no, no. And John doesn't give up, and he's never put off by people being just kind of rude to him. And he just says, so can I tell you about Jesus today? Yeah, I really need to know about Jesus today. Oh, well, let me tell you about Jesus. And they get saved. That's what Jesus has called us to do. He goes out and he makes disciples, but it's through the power and the might of the Holy Spirit, using the gospel through him to bring out a significant change in his world and the lives of those around him. So many of us have misunderstood the message of Jesus because Jesus told us not to be of the world, but to be in the world. In other words, we're to be insulated, but not isolated. And what that looks like is, is when you're insulated from the effects of the world, it's because you have the protecting power of the Word of God. You have the protecting power of the community of faith. You have the protecting power of the Spirit of God on you. And that gives you the opportunity to make most of the opportunities that God's given you. You have been insulated from the effects of the world, but you are not to be isolated from the world. You are to take the Word of God to them. Don't see any area or any time, or any event in your life as simply mundane. God doesn't waste a moment or event of your life. But know this, God will hold you equally accountable for every place He has put you. You will have to give an account to God for how you made the best use of your time. Everyone will stand before God and give an account of the maximization of their life for His glory. Number three, if you want to combat evil in our world today, you have to resolve that Jesus will be the strongest influence of your life. Ephesians 5.18, and do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. To be filled with the Spirit means being under the influence, the control, the direction of the Holy Spirit. To be living in a Spirit-filled life means that there are things that you will have to surrender to God. There are three areas that I want to bring up that you're going to have to surrender to him. Number one, domination. You want to have domination over your own life? The Holy Spirit wants domination of your life. The Spirit of God has rights over your life. And to be filled with the Spirit means he dominates your life. Your life has structure to it. But God the Spirit is the editor of your life. As the editor of your life, it means that he'll bring a detour into your life. And when he does, 
You need to submit to the detour that he's brought to you. God has something for you to do. And if you're going to do what God wants you to do, you have to submit to the detour and the domination of the spirit. And it means that God will bring detours to your life to get you where he wants you so that you can do what he's called you to do. If you're going to do the will of God, you have to submit to the detours of the Spirit. Number two, if you're going to live a Spirit-filled life, you will have to let the pressure of the Spirit move you. What I mean by that is like back in the day when, when Pete and the boys were fishermen on the Sea of Galilee and they wanted to get across the lake, they threw up their sail. And then the wind would hit that sail, put pressure on the sail, and move the boat in the direction. Pressure. The wind doesn't come to tear it apart. The wind comes to move it. That's what the Holy Spirit's saying to us. Some of you need to throw up your sail. Some of you are so scheduled that you don't have time to throw up your sail for the Spirit of God to put pressure on it to move you. You know, let me put it to you this way. Some of you need to relinquish the hyper-anal disposition you have towards planning. Now give me, give me, listen to this. There's nothing wrong with planning. God likes it when we plan stuff. But God wants us to put the planning down, throw up the, the sail, and let the Spirit of God move us in the direction and to the places he wants us to go. But we get over plan in our life. We want to plan so much that we plan God right out of doing any work in our lives. I'll come back to you later, God. You're not in my daytimer today or on my phone's calendar. This isn't a call for you to be independent of God but rather a call for total dependency on the Spirit to give you direction over your overplanned life. Just give it up to Jesus, put up your sail, and watch where Jesus will take you. Pressure. The Spirit wants domination. He brings pressure. And the third thing is, if you're going to live a spirit life that pushes back the darkness, you will have to know the permeation of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is a nosy God. He wants to be in every part of your business. Everything. I mean everything. He wants, he does, he's not interested in just being a part of your church life. He wants to be a part of your gym life. He wants to be a part of your reading life. He wants to be a part of your work life. He wants to be a part of your family life. He wants to be a part of everything that goes on in your life. I've lost you. You don't get it. All right, let me help you out. Back when I was a kid, and you know, um, as a pastor kid, we grew up not really, uh, we didn't have a lot of money. Buying um, Pepsi or Coke or uh, a soda product was a big deal in our house. My dad, when we really got after it, he would make homemade root beer. It was awesome. But more times than not, what we drank as kids, if we didn't want water, was this magical little thing called 
Kool-Aid. Back in my day, you could probably buy a thousand of them for 10 cents. Something like that. It was ridiculous. And so I became a connoisseur of Kool-Aid. And the thing is, is that when, when you take this Kool-Aid, this little pack of Kool-Aid, you, you want to open it up, of course, and then... Ooh, gets me every time. You want to take the Kool-Aid and you want to make a nice jug of Kool-Aid. And so what you do is you pour the Kool-Aid into the water. And what happens is, is that as that Kool-Aid makes its way through the water, it permeates every molecule of the water and it is no longer water, but it is permeated and now it has become Kool-Aid. It is no longer water. This is not water. It's also not drinkable <laughs> because there's no sugar in it. Now, I went ahead and did something a little bit earlier this morning when I came in here because um, the way that you make Kool-Aid, Kool-Aid, and it's great, is you have to add that magic ingredient called sugar, right? And anybody who's a connoisseur of Kool-Aid knows that the best way to get your sugar into the Kool-Aid is you don't dump the sugar into the cold water. You take hot water and you pour your sugar into the hot water and what it does is it starts to stretch all those little molecules of sugar and then they get nice and heated up and they interact with the water molecules and all of a sudden you have this splendid thing that just took seconds to create the sugar water and it's all because it's all stretching and working together. And then you take this beautiful mixture of, of sugar water and you add it to the Kool-Aid and then it becomes something that you might want to drink later on or not. The Holy Spirit in our lives is like Kool-Aid. When He is um, brought into our lives, when, when He is permeated into our lives, He wants to take over every aspect of our lives. And He wants to get those molecules of the Spirit moving within us. The things get heated up. Because when things get heated up, then we start to connect with God. And when things get heated up and we connect with God, then we start to live a spirit-filled life that pushes back on darkness. And we've got theology that's coming in and transforming our brains. We've got action on the other end of it, orthopraxy, but smack dab in the middle of that. When we get heated up, what we want to do is we want to worship God. Now, the question you're asking yourselves is, how do you get heated up? Verse 19. Addressing one another in psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, singing, and making melody to the Lord with your heart. That's how you heat things up. You know, when we sing, we don't just sing this way. If you come in here with the heart and you just think you're singing to God, you're missing half the program, folks. The other half of the program is you're singing loud enough so the person sitting next to you goes like, that's exactly who God is. And you're encouraging everybody else around you to, to come along and you're reminding them of the greatness of God as we all lift our voices in praise to God. Theology, worship, practice. 
Don't get stuck on one of them. You have to have all three of them if you're going to make a dent against evil in this world. You thought, maybe you thought when you came here this morning and you heard we were going to talk about how do we respond to evil in this world that I was going to lay out some kind of a plan where we get on our knees and pray. We do need to do that. But that comes out of theology. That comes out of worship. That's the practice. The way that we combat evil is by living lives that are empowered by the Holy Spirit to affect our world. That's what happens. And so the way we combat, combat this evil in our world is by living Holy Spirit-empowered lives of discernment to maximize every season that God has given you and to resolve that Jesus will be the strongest influence in your life. Let me finish with this admonition from Paul from the letter to the Colossians church. And so, from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. So as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened by all power, according to his glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. Amen? Our Father, this morning, we are so thankful that you have given to us our answer to combat the evil and wickedness of our world. And it's found in the work and person of Jesus Christ in our lives. Help us to be men and women who desire deeply to know you better. We pray that your Holy Spirit would empower us to have discerning minds, that we would maximize every season that you give us, God, and that we would resolve every day that we start off our day that Jesus will be the strongest influence of our life. God, do not allow us to walk out of this building without setting forth in our hearts and making Christ king of our lives. We pray that you would empower us by your Holy Spirit to be godly men and women who live in righteousness and holiness. And so we commit ourselves to you to do your work, we pray in Jesus' great name. Amen. Now